I definitely took opportunities along the way to spend a little bit of the money on myself, create those, those things that gave me a little bit of motivation, a little bit of stress that helped me, you know, work a little harder and try to get to the next level. I was always doing that along the way. I was the guy who the minute I could, you know, buy a brand new car, saved up and, and did that uh, right off a showroom floor because I knew I needed that and I wanted that stress. I, I lived for that pressure of being able to make that car payment and knowing that it would, I would have to exceed and excel at what I'm doing in order to get that done. I couldn't just phone it in. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show and thank you for making time. Please don't forget to share this show with your friends and please don't forget to hit the subscription button because we have a show for you today and your friends are going to want to hear it. We have Mark Mashara, who has achieved the dream that many of you have. He lives off his investments and he spends his time managing nothing but his investments. So I talked to a lot of people that want to figure out how to get there by 35. It may take a little longer. Mark's going to talk about exactly how to go from college to that cool job to managing your personal investments the real way. He's going to talk about excellence as always seeking growth, but a balanced growth, growth in all aspects of your life. He's going to lay out in detail the path to personal wealth, which includes grinding it out with your head down, reinvesting with balance, and learning to love work. Mark's all about the power of relationships and and people, and he's going to talk about his investment process and strategy and how the people make all the difference. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Mark Mashara, thank you so much for getting out of the water early this morning at 5 a.m. So you could be at your desk in your office, ready to talk to me today for this fantastic podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you are definitely, in your own mind, the most important person we've ever had on this show next to Michael Cato. And I appreciate that you made time. I want to start off the way I always start off, Mark. What is your definition of excellence? Well, uh, that's a great question, actually. And I I did give that some thought ahead of time. So my definition of excellence uh, really equates to always seeking growth. Uh, And that could be personal, professional, in your relationships, uh, in your health, whatever that may be to you, seeking growth. And I think growth really comes from striving to improve, um, whether that's through, you know, learning, practicing, you know, creating any kind of positive habit towards one of these elements in your life. Uh, so excellence to me, it's kind of that Kobe Bryant mentality. Never, never really stop. So I know you pretty well. 
I know what a great family man you are. I, I mean, there's not a hour that goes by that I spend with you that you don't talk and brag about um, your kids. I know how great you are with that. I know how great you are uh, as with the relationship with your ex-wife, which a lot of times people get divorced and they're not great. I know how hard you try and how much effort you put in to your significant other, Shannon. Um, and we talk about it. I also know how hard you work uh, in, your, in your profession at Mulholland Investment Group. I know how much you like to fish, how much effort you put into fishing. So you are always seeking growth in the personal, the professional, the health, the relationship in all the areas, which in a lot of people's mind, excellence is being able to spin all the plates. Can you be excellent professionally and let your personal and health life fall apart? Um, can you be excellent in one area based on your definition or do you need to spin all the plates? Um, you actually do need to spin all the plates. Um, and, and for me, balance is critical. So I, I would say that if you're going to let one of those plates suffer, take health, for example, it's obviously going to make a significantly negative impact in all the other areas. So without a doubt, uh, you have to spin all the plates, create enough balance in all those areas, and ultimately make sure that you are improving, trying to improve. So for me, it's, am I taking positive step towards getting better in all of those areas? Yeah, you know, I've got a wonderful angelic daughter and a beautiful boy, and I've had some issues in the past, like all parents do and all kids do, where we're butting heads or things aren't working out. And I know if I'm having a bad relationship with my daughter and I'm not feeling like we're having a healthy relationship, we're spending the time, we're respecting each other, then I come to work and maybe my mindset is off because of an interaction I had. And so even though she's not trying, I might affect my work. I might affect my spousal relationship. I might affect my health and start binge eating my wife's cookies uh, because I'm not having a, a great experience in my, in my family life. So that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, precisely what I'm talking about. I think we are all such emotional creatures that it's impossible to compartmentalize Things like that, a problem at home, a problem with family, a problem at work that you bring right back into the relationship um, at home. So it's, it's just it's impossible. OK, and that's interesting. You can't compart compartmentalize it. So your definition of excellence is always seeking growth, but a balanced growth, because the reality is, is everything bleeds together. That is exactly right. Well, interesting that we would have you on today. You are the second person that I've had on spurred by my latest conversations with Gen Z. Everybody wants to be Mark Bashara. Um, so we got you on today. You are what everybody wants to be a professional investor of your own money, right? That's exactly right. So first of all, you have to have your own money, which is a whole story to itself. And a lot of people in uh, your daughter's age group, my son's age group, the people I work with at College Works age group want to hit that mark at 35 years old and live forever off of their investments. But I think there's a misunderstanding. I think there's a misunderstanding of how long it takes to get to the point where you have that kind of cash that you can live off of it. I think there's a misunderstanding with how much time it takes to manage the money. And 
Not everybody needs hundreds of millions of dollars like you have. They can live off of maybe a million dollars or $2 million um, and live off the interest. But to get 5% return or 7% return and a consistent income takes some skills. And to get even to a million or $2 million takes a lot of work. So I am so happy to have you on today to talk about your 50-year journey towards wealth and your, I don't know, 50 hour a week job of managing all these companies. So let's get straight to it. You're a professional investor. What was your short, easy path to generating enough short? I'm sorry, I forgot stress-free short, easy, stress-free litigation-free path towards uh, managing wealth. I played the lottery at age 21 and actually hit the right numbers. And it's been a, a free ride ever since, Matt. So. Oh, oh, wait, did you did you first win the lottery, then buy two rental houses that you flipped for like all the profit instantaneously and then stick it into a fund and move to Hawaii and surf and just start cashing checks? God, that sounds great. That really does sound great. Believe it or uh, not, so- Mark, believe it or not. There is someone in Westlake Village driving in their car right now, listening to this on 1.5 speed, which I always recommend 1.5 speed for this podcast because I talk too much. And you just shattered their bubble. There's a bunch of people that work for work for College Works in the Midwest that are sitting there going, wait a second, that's not the path. So what's the real path? All right. Well, the real path, as uh, surprising as this may sound, is head down, grind into a particular company or business that you are passionate about, that you are prepared to do whatever it takes and do that consistently for a number of years. For me, it took 20 years, two full decades of my life doing everything I could to amass a big enough value in a company that I ultimately was able to sell and create the pot of money that helped me parlay into being a professional investor. Uh, before that, it was simply putting every dollar I could possibly make back into that business to try to create value. And it was a long, arduous, uh, very, very tireless road to getting there. Now, so let me get this straight. I put my head down. I grind it out um, in some business until I'm okay at it for about five years. And then I should have a pot of money that I could invest pretty easily and make a lot of money off of. Is that what you said? If you could do it in five years, you're, 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 you're probably five times as smart as I was, but uh, it took 20 for me. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not what you said. I'm yeah, sorry. You, you said head down, grinding to excellence of whatever you're doing consistently. And I'm going to say at least 20 years, you're lucky if you get it done in 20 years, probably 30. And then you mentioned a word that people don't like, reinvest. Now, I do think that the generation today is better with their money than our generation. I see them all the time investing. I see them investing in stuff that I think stupid. And if I think it's stupid, it's going to win because I'm the world's worst investor. Investing in that painting company where you buy a piece of a Basquiat. I thought that was stupid. Turns out that was a great idea. Investing in Bitcoin, which I still think stupid unless you sell it and they sold it. So it ended up being a great idea. Investing in individual stocks, which I always lose on, but they pick them better. So they bought Tesla and Amazon and I did it. So I do think nowadays we have a generation that's your children, my children, college students, people listening to this that are better at savings. 
And I'm just laughing because you said you reinvested every dollar you possibly could, which is absolutely not true. I've been to your office. It's the fanciest office any of us have ever seen. You didn't reinvest. You needed to have a fancy office. I've seen all your cars, including that not Porsche Turbo that you have that you say is a Porsche Turbo. You could be driving around in a crappier car than that. So you didn't reinvest everything. How do you decide what luxuries you can handle in your 20s? And that isn't, I mean, I had brought a Ferrari when I was 27, bad idea. And then I bought another one at 29, bad idea. So I wish I had all that money in the bank and you know that money would be $2 million now or whatever it would be. How do you differentiate between having a little bit of fun and having a little bit of luxury and reinvesting everything you can? Look, I think it all comes back to that original question of excellence and, and, and balance is the answer. So for me, I definitely took opportunities along the way to spend a little bit of the money on myself, create those, those things that gave me uh, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of stress that helped me, you know, work a little harder and try to get to the next level. I was always doing that along the way. I was the guy who the minute I could, you know, buy a brand new car, saved up and and did that uh, right off a showroom floor because I knew I needed that and I wanted that stress. I, I lived for that pressure of being able to make that car payment and knowing that it would I would have to exceed and excel at what I'm doing in order to get that done. I couldn't just phone it in. Um, and I've maintained that my whole life. I've, I've always been the guy that people look at and go, wow, he's kind of living a pretty decent life. Um, and I know he doesn't have all of that. But the reality is it's creating those opportunities to balance out things I enjoy. And that includes not only things, but time, time with family, time to travel, time with uh, friends uh, and doing some of those, uh, you know, extracurricular activities. Yeah. So none of us, I mean, there are perfect people out there in certain areas, but none of us are perfect across the board. And I, I know people that, you know, they postponed getting married, they postponed having kids, they did, you know, this great career, they made a ton of money, they saved it all. And then they had kids, then they bought the fancy stuff. And that's, you know, that's a great way to do it because you're getting a return on your investment. You're getting compound interest. You know, I've got a partner that didn't spend any money, um, didn't have any kids. His kids are very young. Mine are off to college. He's got a lot more money than me. So I, I don't regret what I've done, but I know some of the decisions I made put me where I am and some of the decisions he made put him where he is. So you're talking about balance. Know yourself. Um, it's okay to have a little bit of fun, but you're not going to Vegas dropping 10 grand on bottle service, driving around in a 911 convertible when you're making 120 grand a year, right? Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So there's almost like you got to kind of look at a percentage. Are you paying yourself 10%? Are you paying yourself first 10% or 20%? Are you living below your means? Um, are you going into debt? So there's all those factors that you're looking at as you're reinvesting, but it doesn't change the fact that you're grinding, grinding, grinding. So you went to college and I forget where you went to college. Cal State Northridge. Cal State Northridge. Um, you know, probably the most prestigious university in America. And I know Cal State Northridge has a long list of all sorts of famous people that have made a ton of money, right? Cal State Northridge. Uh probably the most prestigious school, um, maybe not even the most prestigious school in Northridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
So that, so that goes along with my, it doesn't matter. I coach a lot of kids on getting into college and they're all stressed out about Harvard and Stanford. You know, if you go to Harvard, add a zero to your paycheck and eventually the other people will catch up. You're going to start off better out of Harvard, start off better out of Stanford or an Ivy League. But if you're not in the top 10 or 15 schools, it doesn't matter. And if you are in the top 10 or 15 schools, it still doesn't matter. It matters what you do when you're done. So you went to Cal State Northridge, or you could have gone to San Diego State, or you could have gone to the College of the Mines or whatever. It doesn't matter. You got your degree. What mattered was afterwards. So you come out of the gates and you're running. What did you do when you got out of Northridge? So running is the appropriate word. The minute I got to college, my first thought was, I got to finish. I got to get out of here. And I had to get my first job. So the goal was finish as fast as I can. I actually graduated in, in three and a half years. I, I got my first job immediately out of college in the computer science MIS world, which was basically accounting and, and reporting. Just to you know, try to understand, I was, I was into computers at the time, wanted to learn a little more about the world. Uh, Cal State Northridge, despite its wonderful reputation, was a pretty darn good accounting school at that time and uh, had a lot of influence in that area. Shortly after that, um, I started a company in the insurance space doing a very specific type of insurance sales and grew that business uh, for a decade. Myself and an associate and kind of grew that company from the ground up building rep relationships with clients and essentially doing everything it took to build a small business at the time. I didn't love the insurance world. I loved the business of insurance. I loved the business model. It was a recurring revenue model. And one of the things I learned in college was, you know, what are those things you can do to help you scale? And one of those things was a recurring revenue business model. Sell once, get paid multiple times. So, so far, so good with the path, right? We're, we're right in line with what I hear. I want to go get a good job. I want to make a bunch of money and I want to live up my investments by 35. The number one goal of Gen Z that I hear. And you're on the path. You go get your degree from whatever school. It doesn't matter. You come out, you're focused, you're working hard on the wrong thing. MIS isn't your thing, but it's a means to an end. You're trying to figure some stuff out. You're keeping your eyes open. You're open to serendipity and you run into this weird industry insurance. I mean, not as non-sexy as painting houses, but it's pretty non-sexy. I mean, you and I are like one and two in the most unsexy businesses. So you're doing this unsexy business, but you're doing it for the business, which is what we do too. We paint houses. We don't care about, well, I shouldn't say that. If you're a customer, we love painting your house and we do a damn good job. But more importantly, our product is the resume of the college students. We're here to do business. It's just a business that we do. So you're doing this business. You're focused on relationships, you said. You're focusing on whatever it takes. So that job that you're going to go find to make all the money, it's not a you know phone it in. It's a whatever it takes. Pick up the parking lot, clean the toilets, open the mail. You didn't hire an implementer. You were the implementer and you did whatever it took. And then you focus and then there, you you did everything. And then there's the strategy of recurring revenue. So if you're listening to this and you're 23 years old and you're just out of college and you've got some job, that's not the right job. What can you get out of that job 
to use for the right job. And we're going to talk about how to find the right job later. But one thing you're looking for when you start a business is what is your exit? And exits are always better when you have recurring revenue. Second thing you look at is what are the cost of sales? Well, when you have recurring revenue, there is no more cost of sales after the initial acquisition. So you found a model that had recurring revenue, that had opportunities to cut deals and do the things you love. And next thing you know, you've got Vengroff. So you had this little company, you merged with another company, you became the CEO, and now you're in the business of insurance at Vengroff and Associates, right? Venbrook. Oh. Venbrook Group, yeah. By, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Uh, this podcast is not about accuracy. Mark Vengroff is another guy I know from 30 years ago. <laughs> so I'm going to keep calling it Vengroff, even though it's, and you don't have it anymore. Who cares? Uh, and if you want to find Mark, you would find Mark through Mulholland Investment Group, MIG, um, not through Venbrook. So you merge, you've got Venbrook, somehow you're the CEO. Tell us what that was like. And by the way, we're, we're through the first decade. We're into now the second and third decade of your get rich quick scheme. So what was life like at Venbrook? What did you do as an entrepreneur and a CEO of a giant wholesale distribution and carrier of insurance? Yeah. So that run, that decade was all about building and capitalizing upon the base that had already been built over the first 10 years, right? Taking that opportunity to the next level. Um, and the first, the first decade was hands-on, as we talked about, deep in the weeds with the clients, developing relationships, maintaining relationships, and trying to grow as fast as possible. The second decade was trying to leverage that by getting vertically integrated or buying into other areas of that uh, industry where I could now sell to wholesalers, wholesale insurance, and, and get a multiplier on the sale. And I could also take some risk. I was in a position at that point to actually become a carrier and take some risk, not just get a commission for selling the insurance. And that growth period uh, is what led to me not only organically growing, but growing through acquisition. I ended up uh, raising some money using outside dollars uh, through an investment and using those dollars to grow by acquisition. I traveled the country. I was opening offices and making acquisitions in various states of other agents and brokers, both retail and wholesale. And uh, I gained a lot of experience in buying and and acquiring companies at the time, which I, I enjoyed. I mean, I have a naturally curious personality and I was curious to get into these other companies and really learn about how they did it, more importantly, how they did it differently than how I was doing it and to see if there was any synergy there. Yeah, I was talking to a guy on uh, Monday, buddy of mine that also has a podcast. We'll say his name's Darius because that's his name. And uh, uh, we, we were talking about, you know, he's, he's grown these huge businesses and had these huge exits and brings in all sorts of cash, but he's got a, a low employee count. And he was talking about how he's in there doing all the stuff and, you know, should he have to do all this stuff? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, yeah. If you love what you do, you don't care about doing all the stuff. You love what you do. Yeah, I love what I do. So I, I liken it to washing feet, right? 
the symbol of respect. I'm going to wash your feet. The lowest level thing I could do because I love you so much and I love our relationship and I love the process that I would stoop that low. So the first 10 years, you're grinding it out. You're doing everything for the love of business. You're doing everything for the love of your future, maybe. Picking up trash in the parking lot isn't for love of business. It's for love of the brand and love of the future and love of the employees. And you're figuring out what it's like to be on the ground level. Then you move to Vengroff and I try to get like some job descriptions. You're working on strategy, the strategy of growth through acquisitions. You're working on vertical integration, not, not horizontal was a strategy. You're um, promoting your vision to and your strategy to the team. You're managing the team. You're leveraging the team. You're still cutting deals. So you have to have your sales skills, your relationship skills, your communication skills, your work ethic. But decade one at the ground level is to prepare you for decade two of working with the people on the ground level. Decade one helps you get the knowledge of where you want to go. You can't be 22 and know where you want to be at 50. You can be 32 and have a much better idea of where you want to be at 50. But when you got to 42 and you're moving into decade three, you start to see more clarity, right? And you started to see where you were going with Venbrook and you had a strategic decision to strategically um, exit and do something else with your funds. Is that correct? That is correct. Right. And by the way, I do like to disclose, Mark is one of my best friends. So it seems like maybe since I mispronounced his company, um, we're not best friends, but I usually do that on purpose just to poke him and see how well he will perform in this podcast. So how am I doing? You're doing great. So you moved to decade three with uh, Venbrook and things are going, you exit. Now all of a sudden you have a pile of cash. It's never as big as we thought it would be, but you have some money. Could have probably lived off your investments. But at that point in time, did you realize, and this is the, this is the funny one I have for the Gen Zers. Did you realize you kind of love working? Uh, I, I not only realized I loved working, there were parts of work I couldn't live without. There were elements in what I was doing that woke me up every single day with excitement. So it was well beyond just the love. It, it was the process and it was the building and it was the relationships that I had made along the way. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I, I mean, I talk to people all day long. I know about their kids. I know about their spouses. I know about their passions. I take them out and spread their passions. I impact them. What am I going to do? Just stop working. So over the course of the decades of your 20s, the decades of your 30s, you're probably going to figure out that work isn't that bad. And you might realize that the average uh, male dies three years after retirement. We need the fulfillment. We need the accomplishment. We need the focus. So you get this pile of money and you decide, wait a second, I got three years to live if I don't create a new focus for myself, which you probably thought of before you exited, like most people, like most excellent people do. So all of a sudden you've got this pile of money and you turn that pile of money into this little company called Mulholland Investment Group. And you start off with what did you start off with at Mohan? What was the first business you guys were working on? We actually acquired a production company, a com company in the commercial production business that made television commercials. And the owner of that business became one of the three partners at Mohan Investment Group. 
And the objective was let's combine our assets, our cash, our know-how, and let's go buy and sell, buy, grow, and sell small companies. And we have continued to do that now for over a decade. And uh, that is exactly what we do at Mullen Investor Group. Well, that sounds easy. So all I got to do is work some job or win the lottery or flip houses, get some amount of money, and then just buy successful businesses and sell them, right? Yes, but you've also got to account for all the ones you're going to buy that are going to fail dismally. And I bet the, the average success rate is about 10%. I know yours is a lot higher than that. So what does being a smart, wise, excellent investor mean? What are you doing to vet these companies? And I already know what you're doing. We're going to get into keeping the management team in place. But what are you doing to vet the companies to make sure you're making wise bets? Well, ultimately, uh, we're doing all of the right all the process that any good diligence would take you through, right? Looking at the company, assessing the risk, uh, pressure testing whether or not it can continue to succeed in the current capacity, what areas need to be shored up, what fuel can we add to an existing fire. But at the end of all of that, and now having done it for a number of years, I can tell you it always comes down to the people. And the rule of thumb is, you can succeed with great people, but you can also fail with great people because you will actually rebuild together. So I'll bet on the person, I'll bet on the jockey every time and not the horse. And so ultimately, while the business is important to look at and we, you try to dot all the I's and cross all our T's in diligence, if I'm with the right person, if we're backing or investing with the right leader, no matter what we end up doing together, It'll work out ultimately. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Okay, so now I've gone through my 30s. I real or through my 20s, I made it to 35. I realized I got another 15 years in this. I'm building a great business. Whatever the business is, I get to the point where I want to get to that dream of living off my investments. And you spent hours, months, years with a bunch of smart people coming up with the process to vet these companies, coming up with the system. The secret to Mulholland's success is the process, the system, and the people implementing the process and system. And part of the system of implementation is identifying the right jockeys of the companies you're buying. 
So you're the type of company that comes in and keeps everyone in place because you're buying something that's successful and you're adding resources. You're not buying something successful, dismantling it and adding resources. And a lot of other investors do that. They put in a different CEO, they put in a different management team. You buy the management team with the cool idea and you give them some leverage through your other companies and leverage through your massive amount of funds and leverage through all of your network that you've built over 30 years, right? That is correct. And, and sometimes it may be an idea. Other times it may be an idea that they haven't been able to successfully execute upon. And it's not just money they need, but they do need that leverage. They need other resources that they haven't been able to get to. Sometimes it does require a shift of strategy. We have an investment right now that we, we acquired several years ago and we are actually repositioning the company. We're turning the company into something slightly different than what it was when we acquired it and to take advantage of an opportunity that we see. That's select and funding? So, no. Okay. So you have 12 companies now in Mulholland Investment Group. You've bought a bunch that have been sold. You bought a couple that didn't work out. You've got a weird conglomerate of a clothing brand, motorcycle brand, lending company, credit assessment. TV production, you used to have the Harvest Bar food, just a weird collection. You, you don't have a, a, is there a commonality amongst all those businesses besides they were small and you love the people running them? So number one is the, the people behind them. Uh, the second commonality was in each one of the businesses, one of the elements of strength that we bring in addition to capital and business management and expertise and strategic influence is Will this company scale with some kind of direct response marketing or digital marketing efforts? There's, we have a lot of expertise and a lot of background in that space. My partner comes from that world and brings a tremendous amount of expertise in that. So we do look for companies wherein direct response or, or any type of digital marketing will help them scale the area that they're in. Okay. so. We figured it out. It's not easy to do what you've done, but it's possible. It's not fast, but it's fun and rewarding in the process. And it's not obvious, but just about anything will work with your model, right? Anything will work. And your model is put your head down, grind consistently, and reinvest while you do it. That's correct. Okay. Um, so let's back up. What were you like in high school? Boy, high school, uh, pretty serious guy. Went to a, a small private high school in the Valley and um, all boys school. I was that pretty sounds serious. awesome. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Pretty serious character. I, I was definitely into business. My, my senior year in high school, I saw the movie Thomas Crown Affair. And it, I, I basically looked up at the screen. I remember the feeling of saying, I want to be that guy. I want to be some sophisticated businessman, not even quite sure what it meant at the time, but I want to be able to do that. And uh, he was an art dealer, if you remember that movie, and it didn't even matter what he was doing. I kind of wanted that lifestyle and the respect that he got from being a sophisticated businessman. And so I, I think that influenced me a lot. I actually recalled many years later, having recreated parts of that in my own business world, you talked about my office uh, always being nice. I've always had great offices and a big chunk of that goes back to that feeling that you get the pride 
of being in a great workplace and having your your team and the people that work with you uh, enjoy the place that they're working. Yeah, that three-panel fossil wall behind you, uh, which I know wasn't cheap, looks like you were reinvesting in artwork at your office. So uh, hypocrisy, by the way, exists in all of us. So I'm just going to flag that uh, you don't reinvest as much as you think. But what you just stated is a pretty common path. You watch some movie, you have a friend's parent, you hear about someone on TV and you want that. I want that. But what I've been telling people is to dream bigger because sometimes they're watching reality shows and they want that. You could do better than that. So you figure out what you want. You don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. It's a direction. So you're going in the Thomas Crown direction. You don't know shit about art up into your house. You're going in the direction of the Thomas Crown Affair. You know a lot about insurance, but that doesn't matter. You're going in the direction what you figured out was how to have great relationships with great people and keep them doing what they love doing, right? That's exactly just like, right? You're just a great friend that happens to be working with these people. That's exactly right. So you're serious in high school. Were you nerdy? Uh, I wouldn't say nerdy, but, you know, obviously... I was what, would the other people in the high school have said nerdy? Probably. Okay, so you were a nerd in high school. Yeah, before nerd was in. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, by the way, nerd was not in at all. I understand it is, but yeah. So I was I was picking on you no, in high school. I was actually not. I was not nerdy in high school. Um, I was probably more nerdy in college because in college I actually started a uh, a business fraternity. Um, I was looking to try to come up with some social element, but around the passion of being in business. Okay, wait and a I second. Was, I, I throw a red flag out. Sometimes I have to do this. You can't claim that someone that goes out of their way to start something that doesn't exist that is in college and becomes entrepreneurial in college, that's an identification of being nerdy. Nerdy is because, you, you know, in high school, you were sitting down at home, playing video games, tinkering around with your computer. That's what I'm talking about when I say, and I know that's a really wonderful path to uh, a future nowadays, but when you and I were in high school, it wasn't. So that's how you were like in high school. Then you move to college and you become entrepreneurial and you start a business fraternity. Okay, keep going. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not quite sure about the video game stuff, but uh, let's go with it. Yeah, no, high school, bit of a blur, like I said. You know, it was a little bit of sports and uh, mostly developing a small core group of friends, some of which I'm still very close with to this day. And, you know, you're an all-boys school, college prep school. Uh, that obviously did not work out so well for me. But I you know, wanted to be able to get to a place where I could, you know, get into a decent college and start learning this concept of business. Um, but, uh, you know, I worked along the way. I had odd jobs in high school as well. So uh, always worked as soon as I could possibly, uh, you know, get a job. Okay. So the goal that you had was the concept of business. And I, I, ha I had what I called a pre-life crisis when I was a senior in college. Couldn't sleep at night. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're moving in a direction. You're in the Thomas Crown direction. You decide that the way to that Thomas Crown is through the concept of business. You have no clue what business is. You have no idea what insurance is. You have no idea what being an investment manager is or a family office is or any of those things because nobody does at that age. And if you have that, if you're listening right now, maybe you want to be a doctor. 
and your path is through medicine. You may end up the CEO of a medical device company, but you're moving in that direction. I wanted to be a lawyer. I moved in that direction. I did everything I could to be the greatest lawyer, and then I just changed directions. So you're moving in a direction. The concept is business, and you're always working. And then you keep mentioning your network, your good friends in high school, your good friends in college. I'm one of your good friends now. You're always working, always building this network. That's right. That's right. You know, the relationships were always super important to me, trying to maintain them, trying to create, you know, you know, what are those things that I could help people around me? Because in turn, someday they may, they may help me. I didn't necessarily know it that way, but it just worked out that way. And, and creating and maintaining those relationships along the way was super, super important. So they needed help at the time. And one day you may need help too. That's correct. So I tell my, uh, I have, I call her my pseudo foster child. Um, I've got my two kids and then because of Jill and her soccer coaching, we have a bunch of other kids in the house all the time, but one of them live with me for like half her life, half the, half the month from 12 to 14 or 12 to 15. And I was talking to her Monday and uh, we were talking about drugs and alcohol. And I said, I said something I borrowed from my friend, Scott, they'll always remember if you're the stoner kid or you're the druggy kid, or you're the flunky kid, or whatever the wake you leave behind, they will remember that. But if you're the person that always comes in and helps when they needs it, lends a helping hand, was always working a bunch of different jobs, was kind of focused and moving forward, they remember that too. So you focused on your network, the quality of your network, the wake you were leaving behind from day one. That's right. That's right. And I think that came from probably from... You know, family values, the way I was raised, my parents, always a community type environment uh, from the, my earliest memories. My parents were immigrants to this country. You know, they relied heavily upon their network. This was a, you know, small group of immigrants that kind of stayed together and lived nearby each other to help. It was all about helping and supporting each other. So I think it was just ingrained in me from day one. Isn't that funny? Everything that could be looked at as a disadvantage could be an advantage. Your parents didn't speak English, did they? Zero. What an advantage that was. So not only did their disadvantage of not speaking English create an advantage of a community for them, it changed their kids and their grandkids life forever because they had that disadvantage. They had brown skin too, right? They did. Big disadvantage but they turned it around and used it as an advantage to make sure that they got things done with their kids. Just amazing. I'm sorry about that sidebar, but I always think about what, what is the world doing to me? What am I a victim of today? Nothing, because everything that happens can be flipped around and turned into something awesome if you have that mindset. So you've always had that mindset, work hard, network, flip it around, taking advantage of everything I can, except for people. You've never done that because you're lifting people as you go. So you get through high school, you get through college, you're immediately an entrepreneur, which you can do because you don't need money. You can go off and start your own company. And then the strategy kicks in and you start moving through the three decades of insurance to later on selling everything and now having this these funds that you manage. So while you were in high school and college, did you know exactly what you wanted to do for a living? Like I wanted to be a rock star or an archaeologist when I was young, then a lawyer. Did you know what you wanted to, or did it kind of fall in your lap as you were out in the MIS world? 
completely fell in my lap. I mean, nobody, nobody goes to school or wakes up one day and says, you know what? Insurance. That's it. That's what I want to do. Ultimately, I, I knew I had a few passions. I loved music. So I thought, let me, let me, I started a, a DJ company, a mobile DJ company, and I was DJing at various venues and clubs and enjoying the, you know, the passion around music, but I was keeping my mind open. But as you said earlier, I was chasing the direction of business and I didn't have anything specific. It was simply, how do I start going in that direction? You're in the DJ business. You're getting hired. You're going to play a party, a wedding, a bar mitzvah. Every once in a while, you're in a club. They give you two grand or whatever they give you at the club. You're like, oh, my God, I got two grand. And then you realize, wait a second. How many two grands can I get? There's one of me. How leverageable is this business? Does this business have recurring revenue? So you start analyzing strategy. You start analyzing exit. And it's okay to be in the wrong business. Maybe you can even sell the DJ business or at least the equipment. And you start to kind of start thinking that long-term strategy, even in your 20s. It doesn't have to be right at first. You can make a couple of mistakes. You could try a few things out. I mean, I worked for Paul Jakubowski in uh, Santa Barbara, the worst boss I ever had, the worst business I ever worked in. That exact moment was the moment I decided to not ever do that again. So the painful stuff helps, but you're kind of narrowing down your focus, narrowing down your focus, not in your 20s, but in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. And if you're lucky, when you're 50, you can move into that investment management role that you've been looking for. If you're not lucky, maybe you're in an investment management role throughout life, so you learn how to do it, and you don't have to learn on your own dime later. That's right. That's right. Um, so. What did you do to kind of get over the edge? And a lot of times I talk to people, they worked at our company, CollegeWorks, and that was their boost. Or they worked at a similar company, Vector Marketing, or they went to Semester at Sea, or they found some job. But there's a guy I had that was on, Steve, who has this giant uh, farming company. And, you know, he, he just worked, he got lucky and found the right company that trained him. What did you do to get your edge? Uh, you know, if there was such a thing, it was simply, you know, I've, from day one, I've always been kind of an organized guy. So I've always maintained, you know, systems of some type in my life, whether it was goal setting and tracking, putting together daily activities that I knew were going to be toward, toward my goals, uh, focusing on only a handful of priorities at a time and not getting scattered across the 20 different things I had in my mind. So I think if anything, my edge was developing systems and processes, uh, almost like a little bit of an engineering mindset around all of the tasks and things I need to accomplish. I've always had that kind of organized mentality. My home, my cars, my boat, in my office, everything. You know, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. Wow, that was just a, I mean, I, I don't mean to pick on you. But that was a whole series of not investing back in your business right there. That was homes, plural, right? With an S. Well, I've lived in more than one home. In yeah, my you, life. you own a lot of homes right now, you liar. Uh, OK, so you've got God. I love this podcast. I love doing this. Yeah, one, I, one I, of us does. Yeah, I right. love it. I love it. Uh, so all your life, you've been a goal setter. All my life, I've been a goal setter. All your life. But the goals were never right. Rock star. I wrote a book once. I know, I know you remember that. Uh, not my, not my career goal setting. Then you're focused. Doesn't matter if you're focused on the wrong thing, you're moving. Cause if you're moving fast, imagine you're driving 
a non-turbo brand new electric Porsche that you turned into everything but the turbo because you didn't want to spend the extra 20 grand and you're going zero miles an hour, hard to turn that thing. But if you're going 200, I bet that thing goes 200 miles an hour. You barely touch it and boom, you're in the wall. You want to be moving so fast that you could adjust easily. So you're focused on the wrong thing. You got your wrong end game in mind, but you're moving in that way. And what you and I both did was start creating systems and processes. And neither of us are systems process guys. We're both drivers. And by the way, one of the podcasts is about the disc test. Mark's taken it. I've taken it. Listen to the episode. Go take a disc test. We're both drivers. We're both influencers. We're not process people. But we love process and systems because we're drivers. And we want everybody to use our processes and systems, which is the catch. So you're processing and systemizing, getting ready for the time when you're going to be the leader of this investment fund later in life to help create the processes and systems to acquire businesses and find the right people. That is correct. Okay. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of covering this. I wanted to know what exactly you have to do to become a billionaire by 35 and live off your investments. And we found out that that's next to impossible unless you inherit it or win the lottery, which is a much better way to do it. Trust Mark and I, it is much better. But since that ain't going to happen, this is a good path. We had my friend Calvin on. He gave his path through real estate. Your path is through insurance. Um, but I'm sure looking back, there was quite a few sacrifices you had to make. Like I couldn't go to Spain with the family on the Spain trip. Do you have any sacrifices that you made that you encourage your young self to make again that you just never regretted? Uh, boy, sacrifices that I would make. Uh, you know, there was a hundred sacrifices, maybe more along the way. And I'm not one to really harp on sacrifices, Matt. I, I, I kind of think through now looking back at them as each one of those was an experience. Each one of those taught me a lesson. Uh, you know, come to mind, I, I didn't spend as much time with my my young daughters at the time when I was building my business because I was grinding, as we talked about. And, you know, that was a huge sacrifice. But ultimately, I, I see that as an opportunity. It helped me develop a different relationship with them. You know, when I did spend time with them, it was much deeper and the quality was was there. So I didn't get as much quantity as I would have loved, but I, I definitely got the quality and I was able to, you know, help them achieve some of their goals later in life as a result of that. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't have any regrets about the way things laid out. I see each one of those as an opportunity. I wouldn't be the guy I am today. I wouldn't be I wouldn't have made the choices I made today if it weren't for each and every one of those experiences. Uh, and do you looking back, would you have done anything differently if you don't have any regrets? Would you have done anything differently? You know, if, if anything, I would have probably slowed down a little bit. I, I had a constant, you know, a fire in my belly to just get to whatever it was next, the next level, the next position, the next opportunity, the next status, the next place in life. And I wish I would have just taken a little more time in my 20s and 30s and even, even just to do nothing, just to think, just to strategize a little more. I spent too much time worrying about getting to the next level and not actually focus on the level I was in. Mm. So you're not saying slow down, achieve less. You're not saying slow down, dream less. You're not saying listen to mom and dad, listen to the friends. 
you really can't do this. You're saying, enjoy the process, analyze the lessons, cerebralize what's going on. Take time to appreciate the process that you're going through, even the painful ones. And you were with me when I had a derogatory experience with my personal finances. And we had a, a, I guess, a perfect storm of events with a few of our companies that just sucked everything out of everything I had, houses for sale, all this stuff. And from minute one, I knew what was going on. Minute one, I knew this is a process. This is a learning experience. And so my ability to get through that very quickly on target, uh, the exact date that I thought I would be out of it, I was out of it, was because I focused on the process and the learning and not the emotions around it. So whether it's bad or good, you wish you could have gone back and basically gotten more out of each experience, debriefed yourself. Debriefed. You look at the greatest athletes and the greatest teams, the Sacramento Kings, um, they're debriefing after every game. They're in the, they're watching tapes for days. Uh, you look at the military, they spend as much time briefing and debriefing as they do performing the exercise. You wish you would have slowed down and done some internal debriefing. That's exactly right, man. I, I literally wish I could have spent some more time debriefing and thinking through the next steps rather than just focused on getting there. I also didn't spend enough time in gratitude about the steps I had already achieved. And, and that's something I look back at. Gratitude would have been it's something I've learned later in life. It's a huge part of my life today, but I wasn't, I wasn't practicing gratitude as much as I should have uh, as I was passing through those different you know, elements of my life. Okay, let's take a little sidebar here real quick. Speaking of gratitude, you and I went through a little exercise this week on building out our bucket list. I've got a bucket list. You've got a bucket list. You came up with a concept called a reverse bucket list, which kind of ties into the gratitude. People listening now, um, maybe you haven't jumped out of a helicopter in the Panama Canal or ice glaciered on multiple continents or done things like that. You haven't met the Dalai Lama or been to the Taj Mahal or whatever's on your bucket list but you've done some things that should be on your reverse bucket list and just tie in gratitude. I know you're all about graciousness. I know I hear it all the time, the gratitude that you have to Shannon, the gratitude that you have to your ex-wife, the gratitude that you have to your daughters, the passion that you suck out of them and the lessons you take from everybody around you. And I think this concept of reverse bucket list might help people bring some gratitude to their life. So take a couple of seconds to talk about the reverse bucket list. Yeah, years ago, I was uh, I was doing a, a, an exercise where they were trying to put a bucket list together. And I remember laying out a bunch of things I wanted to accomplish in my life that I hadn't yet done. And while it was great to look at it, I kind of felt like, boy, this could lead to some regret. This could lead to a world where I'm going to be left for sure with several things unchecked on that list, no matter when I pass. And so I said, you know what, this is fine to do, but it needs to, it needs another element. It needs a list of things I actually have already done. And so I started keeping uh, well over a decade ago, I started keeping a reverse bucket list of things I had accomplished. And I've, I have had the fortune and the grace to do some amazing things with friends and family and, and, and how life has sort of unfolded for me. And I, I do take advantage of opportunities when they, when they come up. But I, I made a list of all the various things that I was able to do in my life that I was either proud of, moments that stood out, moments that I think 
while it may sound average to someone, were super important to me. So, you know, I've got things on that list from, you know, driving in a NASCAR at 200 miles an hour to, you know, putting my daughters through college. Both of those are amazing moments in my life that were things I was able to accomplish that wouldn't have necessarily been on the list had I not thought it through this way. So it helps me with gratitude. It helps me look back at a life that was very full at any moment. And so when I pull it out and add something to it, it's always nice to look back and say, wow, you know, this is pretty rich life. Yeah. We're always chasing the horizon. You hit a goal and we just hit a big goal here at national services group and nobody cares. We're on to the next one. Um, you get something done, you're on to the next one. As you were talking about it, I was looking at my bucket list when we were in that meeting. And, you know, one of my goals was uh, uh, father-son trips every year. And I haven't had a father-son trip for a couple of years. First COVID, then my kids didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm bummed, right? Like I haven't accomplished that every year, it says. So I then I started thinking about, okay, I took Kennedy up to San Francisco once. We went to Disneyland on a father-son trip once. Jake and I did a few. And all of a sudden I start writing down the father, son, father, daughter trips. And now I feel gracious and happy instead of, oh, I blew it again. So I I love the concept of gratitude. If you're listening in the car right now, when we're done with this podcast, call your mother, call your father, thank them for what they've done. And also maybe come up with five things that you've done in your life that you're really happy about because we know We know you're thinking of things that you want to do because you're listening to this podcast. Everybody that's chasing excellence is always thinking about what they want to do. And we know you never stop and celebrate because none of us do. And it's not healthy. I do one last one. One of my fondest memories that I have of any friendship at any time was going to the high school senior play. Was it Chantal? It was Chantal's high school senior play. And there's that tree and she was the lead and she was singing and acting and everybody was so excited and I got to be there. I don't remember why I was driving by. I don't remember what it was, but you invited me and I got to be there and see the gratitude firsthand. I got to see the growth that you'd always been seeking. I would got to see the effects of your head down parenting and your grinding to excellence in parenting. And that was one of my, and I don't remember a lot of things uh, because I'm old and other reasons. That is one of my fondest memories. So Mark, thank you so much for inviting me to Chantal's play. The last play of her senior year, last play that she would do in high school. Thank you so much for inviting me to that and letting me be part of that wonderful family. And thank you so much for taking the time out of redecorating your office with more fossils to join us on the podcast today. Thank you, Matt. You, you've been a, a huge part of my life. Uh, and and I'm, I'm very grateful to having this opportunity with you for the experiences you shared with my family and many more to come, I'm sure. So thank you. For, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity, Matt. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. 
Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.